man, I love this church. I got to tell you, like, we have so many talented people, musicians, singers, and like when I look over there and see Gabe on the drums, man, I just, my heart just, just explodes. I love seeing that little man just doing his thing, and he is just a, a gifted young man. So uh, welcome to everybody that's inside. Welcome to those of you that are watching outside. Hope you're having a great day there, and those that will be watching online too. Um, we're in the middle of a series in the Old Testament book of Hosea. Hosea, and we started this four weeks ago. Um, the first two weeks of it, I was gone. I was in the Holy Land, and so I missed those weeks. And then last week I was back, but Mark Hinkle was, was speaking, and that was great to be a part of that. But um, one of the wonderful things that we offer here, so if you ever miss a message, a service, you can go on our website and you can view it, you can listen to it, um, you can go to Apple Podcasts, you can go to YouTube, all these different options for you to stay um, connected with what's going on here at Orchard Hills. And so I've been able to do that, but I recognize that, that some people, because you've been traveling here and there, you maybe have not, or maybe you're new to the church and you've missed some of these weeks. So I want to give a little overview of Hosea um, so that we're all on the same page. Now, um, Hosea was a prophet, and prophets are messengers of God. They are spokespersons for God, and God often used his prophets to, first of all, remind them of who God is, what he's done, what he is yet to do, some of his promises. But ultimately, um, it seems that he uses these prophets to remind them, to remind the people of the covenant that we have with God. And sadly, oftentimes, God uses these prophets to remind people of how they've broken the covenant with God. And specifically, he's using Hosea, in this instance, to remind the Israelites how they have broken the covenant with God, how they have chased after idols, how they are, um, you know, just so wayward they've turned their backs on him. Now, to put it in context, uh, we're... we're Accustomed to looking at the Israelites as, as one people, they were 12 tribes, if you know anything about the Old Testament and how um, they came about to be God's people, but there's been a division amongst them. And so the, the Israelites have divided, and 10 of the tribes to the north, they're still known as Israel, or also they go by the name Ephraim, that was one of the tribes. So if you are reading through here and you see Israel or Ephraim, they're still referring to the 10 tribes to the north. And then to the south, you have two tribes, and they're known as the tribes of Judah, the tribes of Judah. Now the tribes to the north, Israel, they have, have strayed from God, so no, they're no longer following God's plan for the kings. So they're... they're um, electing kings who do not fall in line with King David. They're not of the lineage of King David. Just like God said that um, even Jesus would come through the line of King David. And you might remember King David. David was that guy that slayed Goliath, the giant, right? So that's who David is. And so that's the line that um, the kings are supposed to come through. But that's not what the Israelites are following. Judah continues to follow that line. They continue to raise up kings in the line of David. <clears throat> so, um, that's the context. Now, God is really calling the Israelites um, to account for one of two things. One, um, idol worship. They are, they are worshiping idols. The second um, reason that he, he is really calling them to account is because they don't really know him. They don't really know God. And so the Hebrew word, as Sutton shared um, in the early weeks, 
for um, knowledge or to know, it's, it's interesting. It actually is the same word that we use um, when we're describing the intimacy between a husband and a wife. It's, it's a, a sexual um, imagery. It's a sexual um, euphemism of, of that kind of connection, that kind of intimacy that a husband and wife should have with one another. And so um, God carries that out. He, he's illustrating how, how he is, is the bridegroom, and he has been faithful to his bride, but that the bride has been unfaithful, has been adulterous, adulterous. And so um, he calls upon his, his prophet um, Hosea, and um, he says, Hosea, here's what I want you to do. I want you to marry a prostitute. I want you to marry a prostitute. This is going to illustrate the issue that we have and the relationship that we have. And so Hosea does it, and he marries this prostitute. Her name was Gomer, which, poor woman. You, you know, like I'm thinking, it's bad enough a dude is named Gomer, let alone a woman. And yet, so that, that's what God does. So if that weren't enough, she also is a prostitute. And, and God says, Hosea, I want you to marry this prostitute to demonstrate really my unfailing love for my people. And so um, Sutton covered the first three chapters, and we get, get a um, taste of the life of Hosea and Gomer in those three, three um, chapters. And you can imagine, it did not go well. It did not go well. Hosea continues to be unfaithful. She, um, we believe, even bears children by other men, and Hosea takes them in as his own, and he fathers them. She um, continues in this adulterous lifestyle, even to the point where she becomes um, a sex slave. And Hosea has to go and buy her back, to buy her back, to bring her back into his household, to bring her back as his wife, to love her as his wife, despite the fact that she has been intimate with who knows how many men. What we see in the Old Testament, this is one of the great things about the Old Testament that I love, is um, the Old Testament is full of types and shadows, types and shadows of Jesus. So the, if, you, if you recall, the Old Testament is really pointing to Jesus. All of it's pointing to Jesus and pointing to our need for Jesus. And as we read through the Old Testament, we see some of these characters who are really a type of Jesus. In this case, Hosea is a type of Jesus. He represents Jesus in this story. And then we see the Israelites and Gomer. Well, she is a type of us. Like she represents us. The Israelites represent us because we all, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, have been like them. We've all turned our backs on God. We've all been guilty of going our own way, doing our own thing. And so she and the Israelites represent us. Hosea represents Jesus. So this morning, what we're going to do, we're going to look at Hosea chapter 5, and then we're going to look at the first three verses of chapter 6. So there is a lot to cover. I'm only going to hit um, certain verses, some of the highlights, and some of the main themes. But I encourage you, always read the whole thing in context. That is so important. You'll have to do that outside of here. But I would love for you to follow along in your Bibles with me. So if you have one of those paper Bibles, if anybody still uses any of those paper, okay, we got a paper Bible. So if you're looking for Hosea, that's hard to find. But if you 
open it up. It's like two-thirds of the way through. So go to like two-thirds, open it up, and maybe you'll see these what we call major prophets because they're like big, big books of the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Once you see those guys, you're getting warm, right? So keep going right to there. And then, then if you see Daniel, then money, all right? So Hosea is right after that. If you've got a church Bible, it's even easier, 892, okay? 892 if you're sitting in here. Open that up. If you've got a phone... It's even easier. So do that. So I'd love for you to follow along. So beginning um, in, in verse 1. Now remember from last week if you were here, Mark Hinkle was talking about how God is calling not, not just the Israelites as a people, but their leaders specifically to account. And then in this chapter, what we're going to see is it's not just the Israelites to the north who are guilty, but it's, it's Judah to the south as well. So listen to this beginning in verse 1. Hear this, you priests. Pay attention, you Israelites. Listen, royal house. This judgment is against you. It's against you. You've been a snare at Mizpah, a net spread out on Tabor. The rebels are knee-deep in slaughter. I will discipline all of them. I know all about Ephraim. Remember, Ephraim is the northern area. Israel is not hidden from me. Ephraim. You have now turned to prostitution. Israel is corrupt. So what we, we see here is basically Hosea, on behalf of God, is saying all of you are guilty. All of you are guilty. From, from the leaders to the average ordinary people in the north to the south, everybody's guilty of turning your backs on God, going your own way. Um, we continue to see this. If you keep reading down, um, verse 4 says, a spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge God. Verse 5 states that the Israelites and Judah stumble in their sins. Verse 7, they are unfaithful to the Lord. Then verse 10, Judah's leaders, these are the, the southern leaders, are like those who move boundary stones. Now, Maybe you're not familiar with boundary stones. So boundary stones are, are, if you own property, they're like the stakes at the corners of your property. They indicate the boundary lines. Like if you're buying a property, a lot of times they'll locate those stakes and they'll put a little red ribbon so you know where your land um, begins and ends and where your neighbor's does. Well, um, back in biblical times, they used boundary stones. They would stack up some stones to represent that. And we saw this just two weeks ago when we were in the Holy Land. We were going through Jordan. And Jordan is just all desert, at least the part we were in. It was all desert. But as we were going down the road, we kept seeing these, these stacks of stones. And so we asked our guy, we said, what are those stones? And he said, well, those are boundary stones. They're boundary stones. And what they did was they marked the boundaries because in the, this desert region, there were Bedouins. And so these Bedouins would, would be shepherds, and they, they were leading their flocks of, of sheep and goats and, and then even their camels, and they had to feed them. And so they knew, based on these boundary stones, this is their territory, this is their region where they could do that. Now, imagine how tempting it would be, maybe late at night, to go pick up these stones and just, like, move them over a little bit, right? I mean, who's going to notice? But what are you doing? You're, in essence, stealing the land of your neighbor. And so while Judah appeared to be the good godly ones, they were getting called out by Hosea saying, look, 
you guys are trying to steal the land of your brothers and sisters to the north. So you're guilty. The bottom line is everybody is guilty. Nobody is free here. So he's establishing this. But, but here's the thing. Um, they were still, they were going through the, the religious motions as if all was well. They were going through the religious motions as if all was well. If we look at verses 6 and 7, you're going to see that they were still um, bringing their, their livestock to be slaughtered as an as um, act of atonement to God for their sin. They were still following some of these ritual festivals like the festival of the new moon. They were going through the motions they were acting like and looking like they were good, godly people, but their heart wasn't in it. They didn't really know God. They're just going through the motions. Have you ever known anybody like that? That um, they're just sort of going through the motions. Maybe they, they would go to church. They would even read their Bible, pray thinking, you know, this is what you're supposed to do. Maybe thinking that this will earn me some favor with God. But their heart just really wasn't in it. They were just going through the motions. And then maybe they got to a point where they were in desperate need of God and they, they cried out to God, but God didn't answer, or at least he didn't answer in a way that they thought he should. And they're just like, well, what's the point? Like, why am I doing all these religious things if, if God's not going to be there when I really need him? And so they just give up on God, kind of walk away, because they never really, truly knew him. Have you ever known somebody like that? Have you ever been somebody like that? Well, if you have been, you're, you're not alone, because that was the state of the Israelites they were going through the religious motions, but their hearts weren't really in it. Their hearts weren't really in it. We see it in verse 6. It says, when they go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. He has withdrawn himself from them. Now, let me tell you, that is not a popular message or theme today. You don't hear people um, preaching about that. Today, um, we just talk about how God's all loving, and, and he is. But, but we have come to interpret that, that, you know, whatever you do is okay. Like, God's a loving God. He, he doesn't mind. That, that whatever you do, no matter how sinful or, or, or far from, you know, his, his clearly stated will and ways are, that it's okay. He, he accepts that. Not only that, we, we've gone so far to say not only does he accept that kind of behavior, he affirms it. He affirms it because God's a God of love. That's what love is. And that is not true to Scripture. That's not true to the God of the Bible. And so he was calling his people to account, and I believe he's calling us to account as well, that he, he loves us so much that he's not willing to just allow us to do whatever we want to do, to go whichever way we want to go. And he just says, that's okay. I love you. Because he knows the pain 
that we're going to suffer, the brokenness that's going to come when we choose a life apart from him. And so that's what was happening with the Israelites. I'll give you an example, um, a real-life example of how I've seen this play out. I had a man come to meet with me one time, and uh, we were sitting in my office. This was a guy that was really involved in our church, claimed to be a Christian, um, knew the Bible really well. And he sat down and he told me uh, of his plans. He's going to leave his wife and his, his kids. I was like, what? He's like, yeah. And, and this guy knew what the Bible taught about marriage and divorce and adultery. He knew what the Bible taught about being a godly husband, a godly father. And despite all that, he, he had made up his mind. He was just going to do his own thing. He was going to leave them behind. He was going to pursue his, his new interests. And the thing that struck me was when he, he looked directly at me and he said, Scott, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I believe God's going to forgive me. I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I believe God's going to forgive me. Let me tell you, that's not how it works. That, that reconciliation with God and, and even reconciliation with others doesn't come apart from repentance. Okay, it does not come apart from repentance. You can be forgiven. You know, you can forgive somebody. They can forgive you. God can forgive you. But if there isn't repentance, it does not lead to reconciliation. That relationship is not restored unless there is repentance. And to repent is to change your mind, to change your heart, and to change your direction. It's a change of mind to stop thinking things that are not godly thoughts. To take every thought captive and submit it to Christ. Is that a thought that Christ would affirm? You got to have a change of mind. You got to have a change of heart because your heart, believe it or not, can be very deceitful. The desires of your heart can lead you far from God. You need to submit the desires of your heart to God. Are, are these desires that are godly desires? And if they're not, you got to change your heart. And then is the direction I'm heading in, is it heading towards God and godliness, or is it not? And, and if it's not, you've got to change your direction. It, repentance requires a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of direction. That was the message that Hosea had for the Israelites. That's the message that God still has for us. Reconciliation does not happen apart from repentance. Now, so what did they do? What did the Israelites, what did the, the nation of Judah do? We see it in verse 11. It says, they were intent on pursuing idols. They were intent on pursuing idols. That means they made up their minds already. I'm going to pursue this idol. I don't care whether it's right or wrong. That's what I'm going to pursue. They were intent on it. Um, then verse 13 describes their actions. It said, when Ephraim, again, remember the ten tribes to the north, saw his sickness, and Judah, the two tribes of the south, his sores, then Ephraim turned to Assyria and sent to the great king for help. But he is not able to cure you, not able to heal your sores. And so instead of turning to the ultimate king, to God, they turned to a neighboring king, the king of Assyria, thinking that he would be able to heal what ails them. Not only was he not able to heal them, 
but he took advantage of them. He exploited them and tried to destroy them. And that's what happens when we turn to other kings instead of the king of kings. And they were guilty of that. How often, how often do we do that? When we, we have needs, we have wounds, um, we're looking for healing, and, and we look to other kings, if you will, instead of the king of all kings, the only one who can ultimately bring us healing. How often do we do that? That's what the Israelites were doing. That's what the nation of Judah was doing. Now, um, I, I want to be clear about, about something. When you look at verse 6, I want you to look at that in its proper context. Um, what we see happening in, in chapter, in verse 6, rather, is, is not just God running from his people. It's not God playing a cruel game of hide and seek. That is not what you see happening here. Because if you look at, at Hosea chapter 5 in its full context, you're going to see that is not what's happening. If you look at Hosea as an entire book, you will see that is not what God is doing there. That is not what is happening. If you look at the entirety of the Bible, you will see that is not what God is doing. He is not playing some cruel game of hide and seek. See, the problem isn't that God is hiding from us. The problem is that we're hiding from God. The problem isn't that God isn't seeking us. The problem is we're not seeking him. That's the problem. That's the problem. And that's what needed to be addressed here. Um, it's, it's challenging when, when people just want to do their own thing. When they think like God has just abandoned them. Let me, let me illustrate this. So we've got the cross here. And, and you can notice a, a couple things about the cross. It's immovable. It, it's steadfast. It's, it's not going anywhere right there. And also notice the positioning of it. It is facing the people. It is facing the people. And, and that's a representation of God. He is steadfast, he's immovable, and he has his eyes, his face set to his people. But what do we do? Far too often, we turn our backs on God, and, and we start going our own way. We, we go to and fro, sometimes based on you know, how the, the wind may be blowing, whatever the inclinations of our hearts or our minds may be. And then... Eventually, we, we end up pretty far away from him. And then oftentimes, because life isn't meant to be lived apart from God, we, we end up in a place that is really dark, and it's painful, and, and we are suffering. And maybe we get to the point of brokenness where we're, we're down on our knees, and then we finally cry out to God. But because we're so far away, we, we, we can't, can't seem to hear his response. Or maybe it's because we don't know him. We don't truly know him, or perhaps we, we do know him, but because we've just gone our own way, he said, all right, I'm just going to leave you to yourself. I'm going to let you sit here for a while in the midst of your sin and all that that offers you. I, I want you to feel the pain, the brokenness that that sin leads to. But here's the beautiful thing. The reason he allows that is because ultimately 
He, he wants us to have a change of mind, to recognize, man, what I thought was going to bring me life is not bringing me life, to, to have a change of heart. You know, being the Lord of my own life isn't, isn't nearly as good as having God be the Lord of my life. And he wants us to have a change of direction. He wants us to, to turn back to him. And, and then when we do, we're going to see, you know, he's been there all along. And it, as we draw close to him, he draws close to us. And as we repent, we experience reconciliation. That's God's heart. That's his heart for us. Now, I've had a number of people come and, and meet with me before, and, and the folks come in, and they're just crying because they have a loved one. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. And, and the spouse or the child is determined in their mind and in their heart that, that there's a better way than, than following God or, or um, even being true to the covenant that they made with their spouse. And so they have decided that they're going to go their own way. And maybe it's because they don't know better. Usually it's because they don't care, because they just want to do what they want to do. And, and so this person is in my office, and they are just crying because they know they can see the brokenness and the pain that awaits this person. And so they're asking me, what, what do I do? And I said, well, we need to pray for them. And specifically, this is how we need to pray. We need to pray, God, break them. God, break them. Now, that may not sound like great advice to you, but I believe it's the perfect advice. That um, we know that apart from God, they're going to be broken. They will be broken. And if they're broken by the world, only God can help them. And sometimes the, the pain that they experience at the hands of the world is so great that it's difficult for them to come back to God. And so I encourage people, pray that God breaks them and that he breaks them early, that he breaks them early before the damage is too great. Because if God breaks them, I know that God will heal them. I know the heart of God. It's a heart of reconciliation. It's a heart of redemption and rest, restoration. That's the heart of God. So God, break them. God, break me. Break me before I get too far away. That's what we see taking place. That, that's the heart of Jose. He, he understands this, and he's desperate for those he loves, for his brothers and sisters um, to be broken, to come back to God. He, he's, he's desperate for his wife and his children to be broken, to come back to God. And, and so we see this playing out. And what we see here is, is God's discipline at work, that God is disciplining them. And we know from Hebrews that God disciplines those he loves. And um, so I, I want you to listen. In verse 15 and 14, well, in, specifically in 14, we get this vivid imagery uh, of God disciplining his people. And it says this, For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. Like that is vivid, is it not? Like that is a scary picture of, of thinking God would do that to his people, that he would tear them apart, that he, he would set them off, he would leave them alone. But that's, 
that's the truth. That's the judgment of God. But here's what we see. Don't ever look at that without looking to the next verse because you're going to see the purpose behind it. Look at verse 15. He said, then I will return to my lair until they have borne their guilt. So until somebody feels that, that sense of guilt, they're not going to turn to him. Um, and, it, and, and he says, and then they will seek my face. In their misery, they will earnestly seek me. That's the point of godly discipline. And so that they will be broken to the point that they will turn their face to God. They will have a change of mind, a change of heart, and then ultimately a change of direction. And, and what we see is they're going to seek God. And we're going to find out here in the next three verses in, in chapter 6 just what they find. Now, um, again, Romans 12, I mean Hebrews 12, 6, God disciplines those he loves. He wants to be in close relationship. He wants that knowledge, that intimacy that we talk about from that Hebrew word. And see what it says in these first three verses. This is God speaking to his people through Hosea. And Hosea is saying, come, come, let us return to the Lord. He's torn us to pieces, but he'll heal us. He's injured us, but he'll bind up our wounds. Then it says this, after two days he will revive us. On the third day he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Remember I told you that the Old Testament is full of types and shadows of Jesus and our need for Jesus? I don't know if you picked up on this, but could this be a shadow of what was yet to come? That on the third day that Jesus would rise from the dead, that he would bring his people to himself? that they would be healed, they would be whole, that they would never need to fear death or dying again. Could it be? And then verse 3, let us acknowledge the Lord. Again, it's talking about do we know the Lord because they didn't know him in that intimate, personal way. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. That's a powerful illustration, and it, it demonstrates God's heart for his people, that he will discipline us. He will discipline us, but when God disciplines his people, it's for a greater purpose, and, and it may be painful. It will be painful, but it's purposeful, too. It's purposeful. God's a God of reconciliation. Um, there is no reconciliation without repentance, and he's willing to go to great lengths, great lengths for us to feel the pain of that brokenness so that we might have a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of direction. Um, Kevin shared with me just this past week, they came back from the middle school mission trip, and in the evenings, um, they would get together, they would have a chapel time, and typically somebody would share their testimony. And there was a young woman, and she shared um, her story, and, and I just love this line that she, she used. She said, if I had never hit rock bottom, I would have never known that Jesus is the rock. If I had never hit rock bottom, I would have never known that Jesus is the rock. You know, I love that because a lot of people are building their, their lives, their house on what? The sand. The sand. And what happens if you do that? You're coming down. Like your life, your house is going to come tumbling down. But if you build it on the rock, on the foundation of Jesus, you're going to withstand. There, there's no storm you cannot withstand. And I love that this young woman got that. Hebrews 12, 
Verse 11 says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. With God, there's a purpose to the discipline. It may be painful, but it's purposeful. He wants us to experience this harvest of righteousness and his peace. And I wonder, have you been looking to, to idols and, and kings for what ails you, for the cure to what ails you? Where have you been looking for that cure? Let me submit to you that if, if you're looking to any idol or any king beside the king of all kings, then you're looking in the wrong place. Also, you may be in a place where, where you feel like you're just distant from God. You don't hear God. You've been crying out to God, and it seems like God is silent. Well, maybe that's because you need to repent of something. Maybe there's something in your life that it has really created a barrier in your relationship with God. And if it's created a barrier in your relationship with God, it's probably created a barrier in your relationship with others too. And so maybe you need to repent. Maybe, maybe you need a change of mind, a change of heart, and you need to change direction. You need to turn back to God and you need to seek him. And here's what I know. Here's what I know, that if you turn to him and, and you seek him, Jesus himself said, if you seek me, guess what? You might find me, you will find me. If you seek me, you will find me. But it requires repentance if we're going to experience that kind of reconciliation. You can't just say, I believe God will forgive me. You've got to have a change of mind, change of heart, and a change of direction. You know, maybe for somebody here or some... Some of you this morning, that change of heart and mind and direction means you're going to come forward in a second and just pray by yourself at the rail as a sign of, of just coming to God, returning to him. Maybe it means that you'll pray with um, one of the teams that we have up here. But a lot of times it requires something of us. And so I'm going to pray, and then if you feel led, come forward. Dear God, we, we thank you so much that um, your message to the ancient Israelites is pretty much the same message to us today that um, while many of us probably want to associate with Hosea and think we're like, more like Hosea, we're probably more like Gomer and the Israelites. And um, it's important that we recognize that. Um, Lord, it's important to recognize where we have strayed from you, where we have uh, just turned our backs, where we've gone our own way, where... You know, we've allowed the pursuit of idols and other kings of this world to, to really um, lead us astray. And so I pray in the name of Jesus that, that we would have a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of direction right now. That it would begin now. And, and Lord, as um, we're here, maybe there's people. I, I feel like people have come to our minds and we're thinking, you know, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. Let's not lose sight that, that we all need to hear this that we're all guilty, we're all in need of repentance and help us to be reminded that it doesn't matter what we've done, no, how, how far we have strayed, that you are immobile. I mean, you are there, you are steadfast, you are waiting and you are ready to receive us back. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We ask it all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray, amen.